Welcome back to another episode of Pop Columbus. And, um, yeah, we're going to continue our subculture to pop culture series this week with a look at B-movies. I'm Eric French, and my co-host, Sean Edgar, and I are at Studio 35 this week for Bad Movie Night. All right, all right, let's just get started. talking about B-movies today, and it made me remember watching Mystery Science Theater 3000. I used to watch that a lot, and I had no idea that there was an overarching plot. I remember all the interstitials, and I remember the uh, narration and the crack and wise in the movie, but it wasn't until recently that I really remembered that the plot of the show was that they were trying to find a movie bad enough to dumb down humanity to take over the world. So they were showing the worst B-movies they could find, hoping for world domination. Anytime you venture into public domain movies, you're probably going to dumb down humanity. And so the question that comes up then is, why do we like these crappy movies? Here's the thing about bad movies, though. Sometimes you'll hear about a movie, and you're like, oh, that sounds so horrible. It's going to be awesome. And then it's just bad. You know what I mean? There's this weird you know, balance you have to traverse. Right. There's a threshold of between just you know, the Geely, a bad movie, and a movie so bad it circles back into entertaining. Yes, yes, exactly. There's bad, and then there's bad funny. Yeah, absolutely. And if you're wondering who this mysterious third voice is this week on Pop Columbus, I want to introduce our special guest, Neil Havener, filmmaker, director, writer, musician, Columbus filmmaking B-movie legend, I would say, at this point. <laughs> I paid him to say I was a legend. It's part of my plot, actually, to become a filmmaking legend by being on this show and telling people that I am a legend. It sort of goes along with that, that plot to dumb down America, actually. Well, we're excited to have you on this week. Thank you very indeed. So there's one clarification that I need to make before we go any further. When we talk about B-movies, the B doesn't stand for bad. The B stands for B as in A and B. Back in the golden age of Hollywood, there would be double features. So you would have your A feature and then your B feature. The B usually being lower budget, maybe not as famous of actors, and just not as good, but it was extra content for your dollar. One of the more popular independent movie houses in town is called Studio 35, and they host a monthly or semi-monthly night called Bad Movie Night. And there is no one more passionate about B-movies and bad movies than Scott Hammond. Scott hosts Bad Movie Night. They've been doing it for about four years now. So Sean and I went down to Studio 35, and we talked to Scott about Bad Movie Night, B-movies, and just why they're so fun. Okay. Um, what, what do you see when you come here? When you come to Bad Movie Night, you enter a, a strange world. Uh, I like it already. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> My intention is to sort of, like, you're coming into this subliminal broadcast, like almost like a UHF channel, like like the reception that you're not really supposed to get that reception, but you sort of secretly get it. And it's just this weird world between worlds. It, you, you see funny videos and a lot of B-movies, some that maybe people have never heard of before 
and just clip some you know, ephemeral films, social hygiene films, old commercials, clip some other movies, clip some uh, music videos, just this collage of video clips that are sort of just strange. You're not just showing a movie. Oh, no, I mean, no, it's, no, no. It's a lot more creative than that. Yeah, I, I, well, I don't know about creative, but it's... Uh, <laughs> it's very creative. <laughs> just sort of this bazooka explosion of weird videos. Every night, this is how it works, there's a 10-minute pre-show which is sort of like if you were to go to a theater and they have like, you know, the trivia slide card and the welcome to the movie thing. And can you believe that, you know, uh, so-and-so wears this wig when they make this show and sort of things like that. But it's a countdown and there's usually like a slideshow of videotapes and then like a music video. It's kind of strange or maybe like a PSA then followed by a trailer. That, that's usually pretty standard. And then we have the intro clip that sort of just gears you up for what movie night is. And then it goes into about a 15 to 20 minute clip show, which internally we call filler, like pie filler. And that's just this mishmash of videos that kind of rapidly roll on. There's music and there's clips, there's callbacks, there's non sequiturs, there's uh, inside jokes. And then when that's done, the movie starts and it's typically a B movie from the 80s or 90s. The movie's originally around like 90-ish minutes, and we'll trim maybe like 10 or 15 minutes out of it, and then we'll add jokes in there, and it'll be a commercial break. Scott, how'd this all begin? Uh, I grew up watching Fritz. Fritz the Night Owl. Fritz the Night Owl, and then TNT Night Flight. I'm pretty much ripping off both of those shows, and that's how I got into B-movies and that sort of thing. I feel like you have to walk a little bit of a tightrope, because the movie has to be inadequate, but entertaining at the same time. Picking the movie is the most nerve-wracking part of it. It takes about a month to make these, and I always waste a ton of time flipping between the movies. And you have a list that you're just like, man, yeah, I can't but, wait to well, do this Well, we've been one. doing this you know, four years, so like we've soaked through a lot of the top ones, and then you've got the people who really know their B-movies, and there are people that like they're like, my uh, girlfriend drugged me here, I don't know what's going on. I just gotta stay awake till I take my medication. You know, just all this weird group of people. So you want, you want one that pleases the B-movie fans, the movie night fans, and maybe people who don't come ever before. You can't go too B-movie. There's such a thing as going too deep into the esoteric territory. Like, I was thinking, yeah. you could never show something like Boarding House that was shot directly to VHS. It's too obscure yeah, and isolating. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, you're absolutely right. That comes into also the editing. We trim the movie down because most B-movies, as they're... 80 and 90 minutes, there's still a good deal of fat in them. And B-movies are kind of shucksters in a way. Like the, the video box sells you and then you come into it and a good part of it's just people talking and driving, stock footage of, you know, the forest, that sort of thing. Well, that was Roger Corman's thing. He said, we need to insert nudity and violence to sort of punctuate uh-huh. these scripts that were written in a day. Exactly. We love these movies. You laugh at them and they're bad, but you still like them. Like, you still genuinely like them. Oh, I, I love them. I love them. I mean, I couldn't watch them as much as I do if I didn't. But what about the filmmakers? Here's here's what I think. Here's how I, I picture it, and maybe this is wrong. Maybe it's just me idealizing them. But I think B-movies are very special in the sense that you see things in bad movies you don't really see in studio fare. Lately, it's kind of it's kind of shifting a little bit. They're kind of getting a little stranger. But I, I see a lot of love you know, like movies like Frankenhooker, for example. There's a lot of love. Classic. There's a lot of love behind that movie. You know, like I always picture like this tight-knit crew that lovingly 
puts together this absurd thing against the odds. That's a really romantic way to look at it, kind of from a fan standpoint, from an outsider who's looking in. But let's think about it in reverse. Our special guest this week is Neil Havener, uh, and he's a filmmaker who makes movies. Specifically, he made a B-movie called Kill Rat Boy Kill. So, Neil, as somebody who works in this medium, do you think that the folks that are making B-movies, such as yourself, is that what you're aiming for, or are you just kind of swinging for the fences and coming up short? I would make the argument that to be a true, a true bad movie, the intention has to be you know, you're trying to make genius. Personally, I'm trying always pretty much make Citizen Kane. And then it's like, it turns into Kill Rat Boy Kill. And I'm I'm sort of baffled by it, but it's it's not on purpose for me anyway. Do you ever watch your own movies with people? Every once in a while, I'll dig up like something like a Kill Rat Boy Kill uh, and, and I'll, I'll watch it and I'll think, wow, I'm really into it because I did the best I could, you know, and I polished it. It's sort of like... Uh, when you're maybe making a record, you make it the best you can. You experiment with the arrangement. You just make it really good, and you get used to watching it like a hundred times or a thousand times as you're editing it. So you think, "Oh, this is brilliant," and I enjoy it. But then I'll have somebody come over and watch it with me, and I'll just be like incredibly self-conscious because it's like I just sort mm-hmm. of cringe and I feel really uncomfortable. But I guess I need to get over that, you know. What got you into making movies in the first place? Uh, my wife started writing scripts, and um, so when your wife writes scripts and you're me, you lean over her shoulder and you say, what you need is more explosions and perhaps some bikini-clad women and so forth like that. And you may be thinking that's B-movie, but to me, I'm just thinking that's a quality movie. That's Citizen Kane, I think. Last time I saw it, didn't have a lot of those. Anyway. Uh, Orson Welles was in a bikini <laughs> yeah, it going was down a slug. Very sexy. Yes. At any rate, that, so- <laughs> is, that is exactly what Roger Corman said. <laughs> Let's add nudity and explosions to these boring movies. <laughs> Uh, that's quality. That's that's what I'm talking about. Anyway, uh, so she was, you know, trying to get uh, some scripts sold, and actually, she has uh, got some options and some movies made. But I, I sort of insinuated myself into that picture and started writing some stuff with her. But 95% of the time, trying to sell a script, you're going to get turned down, or else uh, our experience. Sometimes you'll get somebody who sort of takes a nibble at it and says, "Oh, we love your script, but can you just tweak it?" And the next thing you know, you're rewriting for two years, and they're you know, not paying you anything. So right. why, why am I doing this? So I'm like, you know, forget this. Let's make our own movies. So around 2000, when he got our first camera, and it was this, you know, big, you know, shoulder health thing, a mini DV tape is what we shot Kill Rap Boy Kill on. And um, so we were just, uh, we like to hike the lovely hills of Ohio. So we were just on our way down to um, Athens one time, and we, there was a big grain elevator. And we were thinking about, okay, what's, an, what's something easy to shoot? And we like horror movies. We thought, okay, well, what if, you know, some kids, you know, this they're high school kids and they're just partying and they go to the screen elevator, you know, and then you just sort of, you know, riff. And we, we just wanted to keep it pretty simple. Um, but I, personally, I hate like a monster movie or any kind of movie where there's, well, let's say a monster movie where there's a couple characters talking. There's like, okay, there's a, a dangerous monster here. Let's all split up. You know, I hate it when people do stupid things to me. So right. I think if you're in some, quote, B movies or, you know, Hollywood movies for that matter, when when people do things that... You know, it's not like I'm the world's brightest guy. <laughs> it's like, I'm not going to do that. It sort of takes me out of the movie. So we just tried to write something that, okay, if this happened, then next. Just try to follow our own logic, and that's all we did. Wait, wait, wait! 
Here's just a little taste of that? Kill Rat Boy Kill. No, I heard something. <laughs> Here's the interesting thing about bad movies these days is that they're the most profitable on return on investment. Like Jason Blum, you know, he'll say you have to make this movie and it has to be under this budget. And then when something like Paranormal Activity, which is made for the price of a car... Yeah, right. It made millions. In a way, bad movies are becoming what's safe for Hollywood right now. The movie that we were just talking about, Paranormal Activity, was actually made for $15,000. That's more like the price of a good used car. And when all was said and done, it brought in almost $200 million at the box office. $193.4 million to be exact. Uh, okay, whatever. But the point is, there's a whole franchise of those movies now, and some of them are terrible, but they've all made huge return on investments. And then there was this other movie called The Devil Inside, and it was so bad that crowds often booed in the theaters. But it still boxed $101 million off of a pretty modest $1 million budget. Okay, so let's bring in an expert now to find out how a movie like this can make so much money. My name is Joshua Neely, and I'm Hyperwool's senior film editor. I think it's something that studios would love to figure out the perfect formula for. Lately, social media has been a, a very big part of these smaller films. You're able to promote yourself without having a, a massive budget. These smaller films will often go to like viral marketing, and uh, it allows them to reach a larger audience and sometimes create like a mysterious uh, kind of feel about the film, even if it's not uh, a mysterious film or say a horror film. Um, I know that uh, a couple of the horror films have done where they've had websites created to make them look like it was, it's actually real footage or I think it happened back whenever the Better Witch Project came out. I think they spent like $6,000 on promotion or something like that. Of course, it ended up making a fortune. So I think marketing is huge. Getting people uh, word of mouth is probably uh, second on the list just because without word of mouth, you really don't have, like I said, you don't don't have that promotion budget that you'd normally have from a larger studio. You're relying on other people to promote your film. The average moviegoer might not know that a studio spends essentially – Whatever the film costs, they spend that much on the, for the marketing. And that's not public record. We never hear about the marketing cost. Uh, you know, officially, you know, we always officially hear about the, the budget of the film, but we never hear about the marketing cost. They, they don't have to reveal that information. Say you spend $5 million on a film uh, and you make $30 million. If you have no marketing budget, then you've made $25 million, essentially. Um, so the... Uh, the thing is, you don't have to be a massive success whenever the films aren't that, you know, don't cost that much money. Box office receipts aren't the only measure of success. Films that don't necessarily explode at the box office can still find a passionate and dedicated audience as a cult classic. Think like Rocky Horror or Princess Bride or even Evil Dead. 
Columbus native Michael Doherty works in the film industry, and he's kind of a big deal. He's written some major superhero blockbusters, but he also wrote and directed Trick or Treat, which, despite having a couple A-list actors, didn't break out at the box office, but it has found its place as a cult classic. And my co-host, Sean, talked to Michael recently. How does a movie that wasn't a box office hit become a cult classic? Uh, word of mouth is key. I think the fun thing with films in general, but especially the ones that have a, a, a cult shelf life, is the sharing of that movie. Watching it in groups, um, handing somebody a DVD and saying, you have to watch this, or in today's era, it's sending somebody a link uh, to YouTube or iTunes or something. There's a sort of morbid joy in sharing a scary story with somebody else, but there there's just something fun with someone whispering to you, like, hey, you got to come watch this, and then taking them around the corner and, and peering at something in the dark. Horror is probably the most prominent genre under the B-movie umbrella. We've seen so many low-budget horror films explode at the box office. Why do you think horror benefits from the situation where other film genres don't? That's a really good question. Um, yeah, I feel like horror and smaller budgets, they go well together. It doesn't really make sense to do hundred million dollar horror movie. You almost don't need that many visual effects or explosions or characters and set pieces. That's best, you know, left for the the uh, superhero movies and science fiction epics. There's a simplicity and an elegance to to horror films. I mean, it goes back to telling creepy stories by a campfire. It doesn't take a lot to scare people. I think it takes a a lot of effort and, and careful planning to scare them properly, so you're not really over-relying on gore and whatnot. Michael Doherty has a new movie coming out next week. It opens on December 4th. The movie is called Krampus. It looks great. It's a horror comedy. And if you want to hear more of that conversation between Michael and Sean, we're going to go ahead and put that up on our webpage. I want to thank all of our guests this week, Scott Hammond of Bad Movie Night, filmmaker Neil Havener, and the staff of Studio 35 in Clintonville. Also thanks to Hypable.com's Joshua Neely. And of course, a big thanks to writer, director, and Columbus native Michael Doherty. Our theme song was composed by me, Eric French, and Corey Gillen. For WOSU's Pop Columbus, I'm Eric French. And this is Sean Edgar. We'll be back next week. And if you're enjoying Pop Columbus, maybe think about making a donation at WOSU.org.